Hello, welcome to the special summer edition of Forum 2000 online chat. I'm Martin L., Chief Analyst at the Czech Economy Daily Hospodářské Novedy. We are going to discuss today the pressing issue of the Central Europe, which is connected with the state of the institutions uh, we are building for the last 30 years after the fall of the communism. This is the rule of law, freedom and democracy. We have two distinguished guests. Uh, firstly, Adam Bodnan, former Polish ombudsman and lawyer. Dzień dobry panu. Vesna Pusic, Croatian sociologist and politician, former deputy prime minister and minister of foreign affairs. Dobar dan. Dobar dan. Hello. Uh, we have now, I will start with a kind of a, uh, actual uh, up-to-date question. We have now looming uh, new migration crisis in Central Europe as well. Uh, do you think or are you afraid that this will this will be misused again as it was the previous one in 2015 to weaken democratic institutions in our countries, in our region? Are we afraid or are we are we having lessons learned and are we in a better situation than in six years ago? Mr. Bodnar, maybe? I think it is a very valid issue uh, because, uh, you know, we observe this migration crisis on our border right now. Uh, we have a group of Afghan uh, people seeking for refugee status. And the Polish government is basically just openly violating the Geneva Convention and is not accepting any applications and is using like a typical pushback technique of uh, not even accepting applications, but also not even helping those people with some basic uh, maintenance, food and, you know, other, uh, and, uh, other stuff. Uh, so, uh, so basically, uh, it, it is a problematic issue, uh, but uh, uh, I'm afraid that basically this situation will be used as a political weapon against uh, opponents uh, just to strengthen the power of the ruling party. So simply, they will once again refer to so-called politics of identity. Once again, they will try to increase the fear uh, in uh, society and to create uh, an image that they are the only one who are defending Poland against invasion of some uh, values that are detrimental to the Christianity and traditional culture. The question is, to what extent Polish society will uh, be able to receive that kind of a message uh, I'm afraid that because the government has a lot of uh, means of controlling the inflow on information already, it is much more easier to construe that kind of a story than it was even six years ago. And so what about the situation from a southern perspective? Let's let's call it like that. Um, you mean me as yeah. the representative of the East European South? Um, well, Croatia had a very different experience in 2015. And in general, I think that these two situations are quite different, the 2015 crisis and what we are facing now. However, I completely agree that the right-wing populist governments will use this to use one of the most effective or steer one of the most effective instruments in politics, uh, and that is fear. And to make the societies afraid of something they don't know, something they don't know how to deal with, something that can be pictured as a threat to the everyday way of life. So in that sense, it's similar. In the sense of, let's say, um, political attitude, European Union attitude, 
it's very different. In 2015, European Union actually could have um, definitely, if not stopped, uh, to some extent controlled the refugee uh, slash migration crisis. At the beginning, most of these people were refugees. Later, you could also say there was a mixture of refugees and, and uh, uh, migrants or people who simply looked for better life, which also should be allowed and possible. In the last three months of 2015, uh, Croatia, that has about 4, 000, 4 million uh, people, population of 4 million people, had close to half a million, 480-something uh, thousand refugees come through Croatia in the last three months of 2015. There, was, there were no problems. There were no uh, rebellions, no uh, uh, mass political mobilization. All of this came later where when some of the populist leaders in Eastern Europe, but not only in Eastern Europe, I wouldn't uh, limit that to Eastern Europe because you could see also political parties in Western Europe, all over the world, mobilizing their support in the same way through fear of refugees. One of the key arguments uh, in, for instance, Nigel Farage's campaign for Britain to leave the EU were pictures of refugees flooding streets or roads of, of Europe, if you remember that, that big poster. In the case of Afghanistan, there are no migrants. These people are saving their lives. They're running for their, their lives. And uh, there, there, there is legislation, there are international conventions, there are rules that we as European Union members, but also as you know, supposedly countries of the world, functioning countries of the world, uh, have agreed on in treatment of refugees. And by breaking those rules, we are actually collectively somehow questioning the rule of law, which Adam Bodner, I'm sure, knows uh, a lot and much more than I do firsthand experience and has been fighting for uh, in a very important country and very important member of the European Union and a country that to a large extent can be seen as, as a sort of leader of Eastern European members of the European Union in terms of size, in terms of length of leadership. And if you also want in terms of ideas that led all of us in Eastern Europe uh, to the major changes in, in uh, the late 80s and early 90s of the last, last century. However, we are now faced with a situation in the case of Afghanistan where we will, as countries, let's say, most likely break our own, explicitly break our own explicit rules. If I go back to Mr. Bodnar, uh, to Poland, uh, where you recently faced an uphill battle about uh, your uh, position as, a, as, a, as an ombudsman, 
Do you fear that, uh, do you feel that the, the battle is lost, but war could be even in terms of building the rule of law in Poland or, or the situation is uh, to a great extent hopeless? Um, first of all, thank you very much uh, for uh, saying uh, uh, by Mrs. Pusic uh, all those uh, nice words about Poland, because you are right that Poland at some time was, was a leader of, of changes in this part of Europe. Uh, unfortunately, we are not any longer. You know that is our a big, uh, uh, big headache right now. You know how to get back to the democratic track, and there are a lot of people in Poland fighting for, uh, for, for this. Uh, uh, I think that uh, maybe I will first concentrate a little bit on the status of my office, because uh, I was the ombudsman for almost six years, uh, and uh, in fact, I had to finish my job uh, because of the judgment of the Polish Constitutional Court, the judgment that was really uh, contrary to some basic uh, principles. But what was interesting is that the parliament has realized that uh, there is a need for the independent ombudsman to be appointed. And the new person was uh, promoted to this position on the, in the end of July. Uh, and it seems that this new person, Professor Wiącek, is doing a good job. So simply he's really protecting Uh, people and interestingly, even today, I just learned that his representatives were present at the border meeting those people who are seeking for the refugee status. So this is a good sign of uh, integrity that they were there and that the ombudsman office is still working uh, to protect liberal values. And let's hope it will continue. So, but it's but this situation shows that if you are fighting this battle, you have all the time, you know, the chance to win it. And the second battle we are having is the battle for the judicial independence. We have plenty of uh, judges and lawyers who are fighting for the rule of law. Uh, and although, let's say two years ago, you could feel that this battle is almost lost, right now we are in a completely different situation because uh, uh, we have a couple of important judgments of the Court of Justice of the EU and the European Court of Human Rights. Uh, the Commission is calling Polish authorities to implement the recent judgment of the Luxembourg Court. And most importantly, the money from the European Recovery Fund is suspended. And it seems that the commission thinks that it, this money should not be transferred to Poland as long as Poland uh, uh, resolves uh, all those problems uh, connected with the judicial independence and especially with the disciplinary chamber of the Supreme Court. So you think that, that the government will complete with the uh, EU, EU court decisions? being pushed I, by, the, by the money? Uh, I wouldn't say so strongly that it will comply, but I think that this judgment plus some policies by the European Union is giving some strength and maybe some hope for those people fighting for democracy in Poland and that they will be able to survive within this hope for next two years until next uh, parliamentary elections. So I, uh, so I don't believe that the European Union uh, plus European courts are like magic instruments that they will transform Poland. Uh, you know, I'm not naive. I rather believe that they will give some strength for survival for additional years. Because what, what was proven over those last years is that we have a quite significant community of values a community of people who are fighting back and who are believing still in liberal uh, democracy. 
And, you know, and if I meet, you know, a, a number of judges who are extremely integral, who are extremely professional and believing in those basic rule of law values, uh, then you have a hope for the future. You are not just saying that, you know, it's just lost. It's the, the end of, you know, story. You are just becoming, you know, uh, authoritarian country. You know that you are somewhere in between, that it makes sense to still fight for it and to believe that uh, we'll be able to reinforce democratic values in a society. Question for both of you. Uh, what might be the kind of common problem of our countries? also Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, in this strip between, let's say, Tallinn to Sofia, why we are so vulnerable after 30 years of building institutions to these populisms, to these um, uh, nationalisms. Uh, my personal theory is that it's, we have built institutions like independent media or, or independent judiciary only on paper, that we haven't fulfilled the basic Copenhagen criteria from the very beginning. But uh, I would be eager to know what's your opinion, Mrs. Pusic. In terms of, of building a democratic society, 30 years, I think, is a very, very short time. And it takes way longer. Um, plus our, let's say, the, the, the years where we were supposed to... Um, make the next step or, or reach the next level in building and, and stabilizing and, and uh, uh, strengthening democratic institutions coincided with the global crisis of democracy. All of our local, uh, let's say, populist, uh, right-wing populist leaders were uh, extremely interested in the Donald Trump experience in America, in the changes that happened in, let's say, uh, Turkey with uh, Turkish President Erdogan moving also towards uh, way more authoritarian rule, in uh, the rise of the right-wing parties that became very strong in countries like France, but also in a number of other Euro European countries. Um, so, you know, in a way, democracy was on the defensive at the time when it was supposed to sort of re reach the next level in uh, our so-called new democracies. I always refer to, to uh, democracy in Croatia as our young democracy. The fact is that um, you know, we, in these 30 years, that's very, very long time for, for human life, but for institutions, for state building, it's not such a long time. And uh, all these people who were part of an authoritarian culture or who simply saw democracy as space where you can get rich quickly because institutions are still unstable, all the things that transition years brought with them, all of a sudden were, were encouraged by the crisis uh, of democracy in real, what we always thought and what objectively are really old democracies. Britain with problems with Brexit and you know, a succession of governments that basically didn't know what to do. Um, affirmation of, for instance, lying 
as one of the key instruments in public uh, discourse and campaigns. Uh, these are all things that are familiar and that are comfortable for people who are, let's say, enemies of democracies or, or who reject democracy. And they exist in our societies, of course they do. And they were, I think, encouraged greatly by the um, experiences and, and uh, developments that they saw in the so-called old democracies. That also put people who are fighting for liberal democracy in our countries on a defensive. And all of a sudden, this was not a self-understood thing, but this was something that you somehow had to justify. And you know, how you are now trying to justify these democracies, they didn't help in the case of Premier, they didn't help in the case of Myanmar, they didn't help in the case of uh, Belarusia, they didn't help in the case of, I don't know, changes in Turkey. And all of a sudden, you find people like us who are fighting for democracy find ourselves on the defensive globally. And I think in, in uh, countries that had you know, basically 30 years of experience of building democratic institutions, that is a very uh, sensitive and potentially dangerous thing. And this is what created openings for something that might not be pleasant for people, but something that they know from before. And these are strong men. And strong men have learned one thing in these 30 years. People, even people like Orban, who were not strongmen originally, learned one thing, and this is how to win elections. Mr. Mr. Bodnar, what, uh, was, was there any, any specific Polish way which went wrong? Before we go, uh, go to, the, to the kind of future, uh, still analyzing the, the, the past, uh, what was, uh, was there any specific, because there, there are a lot of common features in all our countries, but was there anything spe specifically Polish uh, wrong way of this institutional building? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I can only agree with, with those general um, uh, statements and conclusions uh, made before, but, uh, but let me add just uh, like two, three specific uh, aspects. So I agree that uh, we observed over those last 30 years uh, so-called reception of democratic institutions that, uh, you know, let's say the Constitutional Court as a model, okay, we looked at the example of Austria, uh, Germany, maybe France, and basically we copied this model to our countries. Uh, or we uh, enhanced the um, power of the parliament, or we have created a perspective uh, and uh, space for freedom of speech, freedom of, of media, including uh, public broadcasting stations modeled as more or less like in France or in uh, the United Kingdom. But basically when we are doing this over those 30 years, in, it seems to me that we didn't tell to the people why they are needed. What is the value of them in a democratic society? We didn't provide enough of a training for young uh, people, for teachers, for pupils, for students, why they need those institutions for their daily life, for their security, for their um, stability. So many people started to treat it as, you know, they are as they should be. You know, they started to, uh, to take it for granted that they just exist. 
So when those strongmen, uh, new leaders started to attack those institutions, people didn't think about some abstract values like judicial independence or freedom of media, mm -hmm. but rather in terms, okay, so what is my personal benefit uh, from this institution? And you, if you didn't have anything in common with courts, you didn't think about courts as being your own. Uh, or moreover, you could have some problems with those courts because you are not satisfied with their performance. So if the political leader is telling you, we are going to reform the court, you are saying, yes, you know, they are lazy, they are opportunistic, they are, uh, uh, proceedings are protracted. So maybe uh, that's true, you know, they should be more accountable and they should be more responsive to my needs. So it was much more easier to present that kind of a vision of a world. But please note that all of this did not happen uh, in vacuum. And I would add like two additional perspectives of what had impact on people's living. I think the Polish characteristics, at least, is such that uh, previous governments a lot invested a lot of uh, a lot of energy into uh, economic growth, into infrastructure development, into kind of speeding up reforms in order to uh, fill the existing gap and in order to meet, uh, let's say, expectations of the of a certain standard of uh, how cities, how uh, rural areas and how, um, let's say, roads should look like. So you have, we have such a saying, you know, that finally we look like in the West, okay? So finally we have highways like in the West. We didn't have it. Now we have it thanks to the EU money. But what does it mean? It means that we didn't think about people in all of this. We thought more about buildings and roads than about stability and egalitarian vision of a society. And then you have a new leader coming, like Kaczynski saying, oh guys, but we need to bring like more, uh, more equality between people living in rural areas and in big cities. You should feel more dignified living in a rural area. Uh, so we are going to present new uh, economic policies, new spending, uh, new uh, perspectives on, on your living, and also even foreign policy will present you as, um, as with this like a sense of national martyrdom and national patriotism. So that was quite an easy coin to play with because it, it reflects obviously on Trump's politics of identity coupled with uh, better economic um, stability. So uh, people decided to vote on, on law and justice. But I will add one more element, which is common to, I think, to all of us. There is a wonderful book by Anne Applebaum, which is called Twilight of Democracies. And she says, uh, I think in the second or, or the third chapter, that what we observe right now, that because of social media, we are not any longer living in a world when we have one source of information. Or at not, I don't mean maybe one source of information, but, but one uh, let's say, zone within which we all live and in accordance with which we all behave. So each of us is using all different kinds of sources of information, depending whether you are young or old, whether you are living in a city where you have uh, cable TV or you have just terrestrial TV. Uh, so simply what we observe is that there, there is no like a one place where we can uh, follow uh, some basic information about the world. Uh, so uh, we observe so-called cascades of information. Uh, and so first of all, before we believe in something, we have to start whether it is true or not. 
because uh, different uh, different media and different sources of information try to convince us that they are the rightful source of information. And please note, uh, in this era of uh, mistruth and disinformation, politicians who are strong leaders are saying, you know, we are the ones who are telling you what is true or not. So we are presenting you the true vision of the of the world. And if they have access to public media or other sources of information, or maybe they are in some friendships with big uh, billionaires who are owning media, then they have much more impact on the discussion and on presenting some of their perspectives than in typical uh, uh, democracies uh, where you have a traditional approach to freedom of speech and freedom of media and where the press has a nat natural uh, trust. So something like a bigger global phenomenon is having, in my opinion, much deeper effect on the democracies in our part of the world because of this, uh, because of the um, uh, manipulative use of media by uh, leaders from Central and Eastern Europe. There will be a lot of topics to talk about, but we have only a couple of minutes left. Uh, I have a, let's say, the harshest question uh, on, on which I need uh, very short answers from you. Uh, is democratic future in our countries in danger? Are you afraid that uh, democracy will not prevail in, let's say, a couple of years from now in our countries, in our region? I think we should always act as if democracy is in grave danger. I don't think we should take it for granted. I think that the history and the current world situation teaches us that uh, it can disappear very fast and it can disappear without us noticing it. And I have definitely lived through that. So. Um, sort of firsthand experience uh, and all the achievements in that sense, political achievements in terms of liberty, openness, uh, uh, you know, sort of a free society are um, start backsliding the moment you stop fighting for them and you stop pushing them forward. And one good example that, that uh, Adam Bodner mentioned was this education. We were fighting for civic education in high schools for years and still didn't manage. In some cities, they have it now in Croatia. In some cities, they, not, they don't. You see differences in the way people vote. You see differences in the way people act. So this is extremely important, although it's sometimes treated as a sort of almost frivolous issue. This is the essence. People have to have a, a, a way of finding out what it means to be a citizen. And what are your rights? What, what do you have the rights to expect and ask for from the government? So... Um, to condense this into a short answer, should we be afraid of losing democracy? My short answer is yes. Thank you, uh, Mr. Bodnar, after your personal experience. Uh, my, my answer is basically the same, uh, that we should be very much afraid of the future of uh, democracy. I'm afraid of what is the future of my country, because right now, in my opinion, we are not this fully-fledged uh, constitutional democracy any longer. Uh, you, I, I observe so many abuses uh, also in the context of last year's 
presidential elections, uh, the um, abuse of the power of the constitutional court to achieve some purposes, uh, lack of accountability of um, uh, highest officials for their uh, decisions and including some violations of the law. You know, so you have an, a number of situations where uh, portray Poland as a already non-democratic country, but but fortunately not yet uh, fully authoritarian. So we are somewhere in uh, in between. Uh, sometimes um, I use the theory of uh, competitive authoritarianism, which means that uh, it is that kind of a country where that kind of a political system where you have incumbent and you have those who are fighting for power. But basically, those who are fighting for power are, are always on the losing side. So they can still possibly win, but they must uh, overcome all the difficulties. Uh, they must be much more creative and brilliant in their policy making than those who are at power, because those at power have so-called competitive uh, edge. But uh, uh, but I would say that uh, okay. But let's imagine that one day you know, we'll have parliamentary elections 2023. Let's imagine Pol uh, Polish opposition wins. Uh, those people who are believing in full democratic values, they will try to um, reform the country and to come back to the democratic track. So I do believe that this whole period we are having right now is something like the laboratory of experiences, uh, laboratory of uh, projects, ideas, and uh, ways uh, how we can reinvigorate democracy. Because, you know, even right now, being like in this middle of a crisis, we are not just uh, criticizing. We are trying all the time to, uh, to fight back and just to try to find our way how to convince people that democracy is important to their lives. So I will just give you one example. Can you imagine that Polish judges they are not just fighting for their independence, but they exactly know that their role is to provide for civic education, is to create all different possible uh, mechanisms to educate people. So can you imagine that Polish judges regularly go to all the music rock festivals in Poland, and they have always their stand, they organize mock trials, simulation of trials, they meet people, uh, they are not wearing gowns, but they are just in T-shirts because they know that it is their task these days uh, to present themselves in a different way as approachable, as people who, to whom you can talk and who will explain you what is the value of the, um, of the Fed trial and judicial independence. And I don't claim that this presence uh, at music festivals will be like a game changer, but it is a game changer in their mentality that their role is to serve to the people, that their role is not to be in somewhere in ivory tower and just to be protected by a set of regulations, but their role is to convince with every action, with every day, uh, why their role in a democratic society is important. So in my opinion, in order to save democracy, we simply must do three times more than we did before. Uh, so maybe it is something like the testing mode for our democracies in Central Europe. And if, if we go through these tests, and if we will be uh, smart enough to outweigh uh, this non-democratic process, then maybe we'll get out of this uh, trouble situation much stronger than uh, ever and much more protecting democratic values than ever. Thank you very much. I wanted to end up with some hope or, or some optimism in the end. Uh, thanks a lot to Adam Bodnar and Vesna Busic for participating in this special summer edition of Forum 2000 online chat. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you.
Thank you to moderator. Thank you very much.